What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. November 8th is the last day Oakland voters will have to decide who will be the next mayor of the town. Whoever ascends to the seat will certainly have their work cut out for them as Oakland continues to struggle with violent crime, an explosive unhoused population, the destructive impacts of gentrification, and an increasingly restless populace. Everyone says they can fix it, but who is really up for the task? We're going to spend this morning looking at some of the platforms of the candidates and their track records. Uh, with two brothers who are very steeped in Oakland politics, we're joined this morning by Walter Riley. A civil rights activist since the civil rights movement who did work with Malcolm X and others before moving to the Bay Area in 1965 where he supported the third world liberation strikes at San Francisco State in 1968 that led to the beginning of ethnic studies. More recently, he's an active criminal defense and civil rights attorney based in Oakland who's deeply involved with local politics and my dear friend. Good morning, Walter. Good morning. Good to be here. Really glad to have you. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. And we are also joined this morning by policy expert James Birch, who is also deputy director for the Anti-Police Terror Project, an organization that seeks to end police violence in black and brown communities. Full transparency. I um, am the co-founder of said organization. Good morning, James. Good morning, Kat. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being here, and I do need to state up front that while, especially if you follow my social platforms, it is no secret that there are some candidates I am not rocking with whatsoever. I have not endorsed anyone in this race yet. Okay, let's get started. Out with the old and in with the new. Libby Schaaf's days are winding down. Before we dive into the field of folks vying for the mayor's seat, I wanted to ask both of you what you think about how Libby has led over the last eight years and what legacy she is leaving behind. Walter, I'll start with you. Well, I think Libby's legacy is disastrous. We left with a city that is full of trash, growing homelessness with no real development for um, ending the uh, unsheltered folks' uh, ability to find housing or our usable shelter and large numbers growing. Um, she is building a legacy of working with billionaires to build luxury housing that is going to displace the working and moderate income families in Oakland. Uh, she has not organized any active public safety approach that is useful for the community. I could go on for a long time talking about specifics for Libby Chef, but the primary thing is that she represents the interest of developers, billionaires, money makers who want to make Oakland the glitter of something like uh, the China Basin in San Francisco, uh, the waterfront in San Francisco. That is not useful for the kind of folks that are here now and not what we want to look for in the future for Oakland. Thank you, Walter. James Burt, same question to you, Libby's Legacy. Um, man, Walter, uh, great to be here with you, and, and, and you nailed it. Um, you know, Libby Schaff came in with a goal of uh, completing the neoliberal, corporate-friendly carceral policies put in place by former Governor Jerry Brown uh, and and by many uh, measures she's been successful um, during her time here. Just a couple numbers that I think reflect what her agenda has been. Uh, the total police budget increased by 60%. The general fund allocation to OPD increasing by 70% during that time. Uh, meanwhile, homelessness more than doubled, increasing by 131%. 
Uh, 60% of unhoused residents are black, uh, meaning that the rate of homelessness among black Oaklanders is approximately 670% higher than for white residents. Uh, we also know that from 2010 to 2020, um, while the city population increased, the black population shrank by 14%, and the number of black youth under 18 increased by, or sorry, decreased by 29%. And I think most damning and really reflecting the uh, uh, political moment uh, uh, that we're in is that uh, Shaft failed to build 5,000 affordable housing units uh, as required by state law during her time as mayor. Uh, and with a uh, number of uh, people who are living unhoused that are unsheltered, that's estimated to be uh, around 5,000, it's very clear um, that if she had achieved her mandate, we could be living in a much different city uh, uh, than we are right now. And so, again, law and order uh, and serving the interests of real estate developers leaves you in the situation that we are right now. Yeah, and just a couple things to those points before uh, I move on to the, the next question. One, you know, that the official count is 5,000. We know that that's an undercount for a fact, uh, given the way that, that, you know, the count is taken. Um, and then secondarily, I would point out that um, there are literally only 15 less officers today than there were when Libby Schaff uh, ascended to uh, the seat of mayor. And... and We've continued, as you pointed out, to invest in the police department budget, and yet we are seeing homicides skyrocket uh, in in this city. To to, I think for, for a lot of people. That, that, go ahead, Walter. Mm -hmm. That 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 uh, you um, cite the fact that there are only fifteen individual less officers now, and Libby is part of pushing this narrative that we are on that the police department is understaffed and therefore cannot do the work that they are mandated to do. Um, part of the divisions and devices approach uh, that Libby uh, Shaft has fostered in, in Oakland. Yep. Um, and the beginning of James's answer actually segued to something I wanted you to dive a little deeper into, Walter, and that is uh, the legacy of Jerry Brown. Um, I think context history is super important, right, so we can organize better in the present. And I'm hoping that you can say a little bit more about Jerry Brown's 10K plan, how he stated his goal was to unslumify Oakland um, and break the back of the black political structure in the town. Um, if you could elaborate on that some and then yeah. connect the Libby Schaff administration legacy to that plan and those goals. Yeah, yes. Um, the vision and the overall vision of Jerry Brown was clearly um, a practical attack on the black community, the black population of Oakland and black and brown folks in general. A divisive approach that was Jerry Brown's job, a policy that was his practice he was on uh, national media attacking black folk uh, in Oakland as uh, being uh, unable to lead, unable to organize our communities, unable to participate in the uh, civic life of the city in a positive way. And he attacked individuals. That's who Jerry Brown was. His primary uh, allies were, again, developers, the same folks that he ushered in to Oakland to uh, help Libby and to build a political basis for uh, billionaires running the city. That's been part of California for some time, and Jerry Brown was very much a part of that. He led off in the 90s with, in the, with, with uh, a message of trying to be um, uh, felt alliances with progressives. But his whole purpose has been and was to build an elite uh, infrastructure in, in Oakland 
that served the very rich and that served the very powerful. And, and not just wealthy people, but the very rich and the very powerful. His whole political organization was that. And he raised money for that purpose. He attacked the black mayor um, at the time before him. He's attacked every um, black organization in the city that is trying to do positive work. Um, that's the legacy of Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Brown. And um, very particularly, Jerry Brown uh, came, went into uh, Oakland politics uh, from the state as a law and order candidate without any desire on his part to actually build public safety programs to serve uh, the, uh, the the community, the larger community, but as a way of de- a wedge device uh, using that title tactic of uh, of uh, law and order primarily identifying black folk as being the disorderly people in the city. So I think that it's important to have that overall vision of who Jerry Brown is and who Libby Shaft is because she falls directly into Jerry Brown. And um, we need to understand a lot more clearly that this divisive approach is just part and parcel of the neoliberal approach in this country and very specifically in, in, in Oakland and the East Bay in general. Uh, the attack of neoliberals against progressives, against uh, those, those of us who want to see more positive change and those of us who want to see a city that we can live in um, for working people, for moderate income people, uh, for people that need to be housed and uh, that look for better public safety. The message that um, I think uh, is more important to get out is that there are tendencies in this city and uh, the East Bay in general that we have to see as um, directions that we want to push for and push against. And the Jerry Brown, Libby Shaft, and I would say uh, the uh, people that Libby Shaft are supporting for the next mayor and then and school board and city council are all people that are moving in that same direction as Jerry Brown, Libby Shaft, the big money makers, the big uh, corporate interests, the uh, corporate Democratic Party that does not want to represent the uh, interests of the folks that we think are more important and very important to be part of building a, uh, a, a community around. That force, those tendencies, and the particular people that Libby Shaft supports are people like Lauren Taylor. Um, she will support uh, anybody other than progressive candidates, the folks that I think move in the direction that the city ought to go in. That's the politics of people like uh, uh, Shane Tao, or Greg Hodge, or Lisa Victory, uh, progressives, uh, people who are running for city council, people who are running for uh, school board uh, that are progressive. She has made it her political job to ensure that we get more of the corporate Democrats and more of the folks in the uh, elected offices represent the big business interest and the uh, pro-law and order narrative that is uh, not a real narrative for safety, but simply a wedge issue. Right. And we're, we're going to certainly dig into Mr. Taylor's track record and his relationship to Libby in just a moment. Um, I want to uh, merge history with the present um, and talk a little bit, Walter, about Ignacio de la 
Fuente. He, too, has history in the city. He was uh, a city council member, and folks should remember that Libby Schaff was his staffer. Um, talk a bit, Walter, about what he was like as a city council member and what you think we can expect for him as mayor should he win. Well, Ignacio, I mean, I knew Ignacio before um, he was on the city council. Uh, I know he made alliances. Um, he was a labor organizer and had support from labor, but his political um, policies did not support the interests of labor and did not, I mean, working people. He did not support the interests of people who had to work for a living and um, try and build communities around those folks and the interests of those folks. He aligned himself again with uh, the uh, developers with uh, big money interest. And big money interest can be the developers, the financiers, the um, forces that want to build uh, Oakland to be a financial center for the rich and, and, and famous folks, to be a place of glitter. Um, uh, not because they simply like glitter, but because they like profit motive. Uh, Ignacio has been part of the uh, approach of selling off and uh, public properties. Um, he was part of the uh, boondoggle for uh, sports teams and his work with various folks like Parada and others. On the city council, um, on a personal level, he had a mean demeanor and, and very combative with other folks that, that dif differed with him. Um, Ignacio was not someone that built a consensus or tried to build alliances with folks who wanted to deal with uh, public safety and the sense of a broad sense of how we move forward. Uh, his approach was bring in more uniformed cops, and uh, there was never any um, argument on his part that there was a particular practical reason for bringing in. It was simply a, a uh, disingenuous use of the issue in order to be divisive and to, uh, as a wedge issue, to win and support. Uh, Ignacio has not supported uh, developing housing for working people and, and low-income people and certainly has not been part of elevating the desire and the black and brown community to develop unity. His whole approach has been to do whatever is possible to create more disunity and identity politics in a way that does not identify the um, important aspects of who we are as individuals and individuals' cultures and political experiences and national experiences, but more to identify uh, conflict. I don't see him as a person that understands and deals with the policymaking in any real practical way that moves things forward. I think that's been basically what he has um, betrayed himself as, somebody who can deal with specific issues, but he didn't show that kind of experience on the city council and was a lot more combative and divisive as a as a community person and as a community leader. That's the overall uh, uh, approach of Ignacio that I found and his ties to money. Right. And I want to read... 
I want to read from his uh, his website, and James Roach, I'd like you to respond, and then I've got one more question for you about Ignacio Walter, and then we'll move on. Um, James, in uh, front of his website, says, I promise you that I will not only do whatever it takes to increase the number of police officers, but I will give them the resources they need to help them justly do their job, and above all, I will provide them, and this is in bold, the backup and political support they need and deserve to provide legitimate protection for our residents and our businesses. He then goes on to say, I promise I promise you that I will not tolerate homeless encampments where violence and drug abuse are rampant. This encroachment is disrespecting our neighborhoods, our schools, our businesses, our residents, taking over our parks and defacing our city. As someone who works uh, both on policing issues and at the intersection of the unhoused crisis as a form of state terror and law enforcement, your thoughts about those kinds of statements and what they could mean for how these issues are handled moving forward, should he ascend to that seat? Uh, thanks, Ken. It's 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 very chilling um, to hear those statements, uh, especially. I mean, you know, you were out um, at 34th and Mandela during a forced eviction the other day, engaged in by CHP, uh, evicting a bunch of uh, unhoused residents uh, who had nowhere to go, right? And so we hear a lot of tough talk and rhetoric from these politicians that kind of. Not even kind of. It's just completely divorced from the political reality that we're we're dealing with right now. And so there's just two two parts of that that are that are particularly frustrating. One, you know, the assertion that law enforcement can somehow make the situation in the city of Oakland with our uh, encampments uh, better is asinine. We may we waste millions of dollars uh, forcefully evicting people to two blocks away, which is what happened the other day. Uh, so they move all of their things two blocks away, uh, and then a, a week later are evicted again, right? Uh, it's not a solution. It doesn't help with the issue of uh, uh, exploitation of people living with encampments. Uh, it just only furthers the, the, the status quo. Uh, and, and the other point uh, I find particularly frustrating is, is there's a, in the last year, uh, a massive investment in policing has been made by our city council, right? And so we're slated uh, based on the investments we've made to have many more officers than we have right now uh, through academies and through lateral hiring programs, right? Unfortunately, uh, what people are not talking about is the fact that Oakland is not a, a place where a lot of folks are coming to be police officers right now. And so it's difficult to fill those seats. A lot of these officers would much rather go to Pleasanton and have a, 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 a cozier job where there isn't a, a rich history of accountability uh, uh, enforced upon law enforcement. You know, over the last year, one of the main reasons law enforcement has given in their exit interviews when they leave OPD uh, is is excessive discipline, right? And those officers, you know, I think it's 70% of them are going to other departments in Tracy and Pleasanton and in other places, right? And so, so for Ignacio to say that he wants to invest more money in law enforcement ignores the issue that regardless of the amount of investment that's being put in right now, officers aren't coming to Oakland, right? So whoever's the next mayor, that's an issue that they need to be addressing, whatever their position is, right? Is whatever number of officers you want, right? Just saying you want 800 officers like Taylor has put out or claiming you want more officers like uh, uh, Ignacio is putting out doesn't mean anything when even with the hiring plans that have been suggested and, and, and proposed and, and, and uh, uh, pushed through over the last year, uh, it's not happening. And yet, given what we've just covered in terms of De La Fuente, 
I have found it fascinating, and I'm wondering if either of you have thoughts about this, that, that folks that I would consider liberals, folks that I have considered allies, folks that endorsed my mayoral campaign in 2018 are adding De La Fuente to their endorsement list along with supporting more, much more left-leaning folks like Baba Gray Hodge and Council Member Sheng Tao. Any thoughts about why that is? How could you say vote for either uh, De La Fuente or Sheng Tao? That, I mean, it seems like saying vote for Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders. Well, I think that one of the things that happens is that people are not paying close enough attention to what 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 is being said in some of the history. They pay attention maybe to the puffing, and um, there is uh, an anti-labor organization um, media. Uh, approach to some extent, big media right now, and attacking Shane Tao because she's got a lot of labor support. And Ignacio, who uh, is an erstwhile uh, labor history, is uh, not getting that kind of labor support. So they're using wedge issues. They're using uh, uh, the trauma that people have gone through in their last uh, period to uh, win uh, without developing practical approaches. I mean, the points that James has made make it very clear that the, that the approach of law and order, the approach of bringing in more police officers, don't really have a plan for solving problems, but they are an attempt to win people based upon some fears that people have that, that need to be dissected a lot more. And that kind of cynicism on the part of the elected leader or someone who wants to be an elected leader is a very good reason why they shouldn't be uh, uh, accepted. There should be no faith in anybody who tries to use those emotional traumas that people are having to to win supports when, when, uh, in fact, those kinds of uh, arguments about use of police create the sense of violence and the divisions in that community because people begin to identify problems as being someone other than the people uh, who are causing the problems. And that is the economic disparities that exist, the lack of social services, support, and social nets that we talk about. And what you talked about in your campaign when you ran. So somebody who could uh, have supported you and end up supporting it also is perhaps only looking at something around identity and not understanding it and believing that maybe he's an outsider and therefore has something more to offer. But when they look at his approaches for just adding more police officers and that being a primary aspect, a central moving part of his campaign and his message is that he's cynically trying to uh, manipulate folks to to uh, support him around fears and trauma, again, that, that we have been going through for this last uh, period of time. And whether it's the last three years or the last five years or whatever, uh, under poor leadership in the city. And uh, he doesn't want to identify what that is. And I think that, that, that public safety is extremely important for everybody to consider. And as you've done, and obviously James has been working on this sort of here for so long with a lot of clarity that we have to have the message out a lot more what public safety is. And public safety is security, jobs, health, wellness, and, and, and housing. Um, that we can have, and not more uniforms out there. Uh, because, as you say, there are only 15 less offices and, than there were before. And, and a- adding another 15 offices, um, and somebody saying we're bringing it up, uh, up to par is, is without having a discussion about what it actually does, is uh, a disingenuous and therefore an untrustworthy uh, person 
to to uh, be involved in making policy decisions around what the city needs. Yeah, and and uh, one of the reasons that some of these folks are, are giving is they're saying right that that Oakland is in such dire straits that experience is something that's needed and they're you know citing his time on city council as, as experience and uh though that's a great segue because public safety is just where i wanted to go next clearly on the top of everyone's mind these days is homicides continue to spiral out of control right our children are dying and our people are being repeatedly traumatized um so i i, I found it interesting uh Greg Hodges, Robert Greg Hodges' uh, safety plan, the first bullet that he has is fully implement MACRO, right? The Community Response Program for uh, Mental Health Crisis that doesn't lead with law enforcement. Uh, and then he moves on to full funding for the Department of Violence Prevention. Um, he, f- he focuses on the utilization of law enforcement resources, right? There's a lot of criticism about the, the waste uh, inside of the OPD, um, improving the, the way uh, neighborhoods look, citywide beautification efforts, and u- utilization of culture um, and, 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 and uh, community accountability within OPD. Jump over to, to Lauren Taylor's plan to keep Oakland safe. His number one bullet point is increased staffing levels to ensure adequate and timely response, a target of 800 officers. Um, and then he moves into phase two of reimagining public safety, uh, which uh, is a little scary given how he did phase one. Um, solving violent crimes twice as fast, uh, double of the investment uh, into uh, crime deterrence programs. Um, and then you don't get to mental health until number six. Uh, James, ta- ta- g- compare and contrast for me about those two different approaches. Uh, right on. So, I mean, when we look at a G- Greg's platform, I mean, looks pretty familiar to me, Kat. I think you might remember uh, 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 something very similar from your platform <laughs> in, 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 in 2020. Uh, um, so, I, I, obviously, I'm, I'm a fan of... Uh, if we're looking for a realistic way to scale down uh, to, to let's be super clear, to uh, eliminate the bloat and waste and misspent time within law enforcement as we scale up other programs, um, this is the playbook, right? Macro is the key, right? Responding to the 50% of calls that uh, OPD dispatches to that are non-criminal with macro frees up a lot of time. And then if you combine that with like a lot of, I mean, let me not... Uh, digress too much, but but bottom line is is it sounds like uh, uh, it seems from these five bullet points, and, and again a lot more is needed uh, uh, that Greg was listening, uh, and then Greg has taken uh, um, taken the, the essence of the public safety plan that we were talking about in reimagining public safety and and, and, and adopted it as his platform, and so that's exciting. Uh, uh, it does not seem like Lauren was listening. Right, uh, um, because again, in light of what I said before about how difficult it is even to reach a staffing level of 700, right? I, I don't understand how Taylor even imagines that we would get to a level of 800. You know, what level of spending would we need to achieve to get to 800 with the amount of officers that are leaving per month and how difficult it is to attract and retrain officers and, and how uh, how expensive these academies are and how uh, how, what a bad investment these academies are, right? Millions of dollars for just a few officers that don't wash out uh, in their first few weeks uh, of basic training, right? And so when I think of all of that, 
the, you know, the amount of money that, that Taylor's spending on policing makes everything else. You know, clearly, mental health is going to have to be low on his list of priorities because he's going to have no money for it. Right. If you have 800 officers, you have no money for implementing phase two of reimagining public safety. And you have no money uh, uh, for any of the other uh, uh, priorities on this low, lower down on the list that come to actually impacting public safety. Right. And then the other the other thing that I don't understand is when uh, 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 Hodge identifies that if you repurpose resources within OPD, they don't need any more money or more officers. Right. They can be more efficient with what they already have. Right. And that's been made you abundantly clear. You think you read clear. the APTP report, James? Maybe you read the APTP <laughs> report that pointed out that if they repurposed those resources, they'd have 62 new officers to focus on violent crime. I don't know. Maybe. Right. Just, just, just maybe. Maybe it seems like something. Some of these things are, are, are leaking into the public discourse, which is super exciting uh, from from our standpoint. And um, it's frustrating to see people come up with public safety plans like Taylor's that are not viable. Right. They're, you know, Walter said it best. We have to do a better job being abundantly clear what public safety is and the amount of money that we have to be spending to achieve public safety. So people can't come up with these impossible public safety plans and then pretend that this is something that they're genuinely going to implement during their time in leadership of the city of Oakland. Right. I think you and can then, demonstrate that. Uh, go, well, hold on, Walter, because I, I, I want to throw this next question to you, um, actually, because I, I want to I uh, spend some time talking about Councilmember Tao. Um, I, I've heard folks, you know, in their support of her, talk about that that she's the she's the candidate in the race. Again, these are not my words. I have not endorsed anybody, uh, but I've heard folks uh, state that she's the candidate in the race that can unify folks on on both sides of these issues. Maybe not the you know the extreme right folks, but the but the folks that that uh, are, are looking for a more moderate re- re- uh, approach. And so her her public safety plan to me has elements of of both um she too begins uh with doubling down on on prevention um uh addressing root causes um she also talks about um macro um supporting victims of violent crime uh she has a bullet point in here um, that talks about defending a woman's right to reproductive freedom because that's a public safety issue too. That's something APTP would agree with. And she has things in here, um, right, and this is, we've, we've tussled a bit with her here, but, uh, you know, on filling police vacancies, um, uh, uh, getting guns off of our streets, which is something I think we all can agree on. Um, she does mention property crimes. Um but it seems like there's there's the you know salt and pepper inside of her public safety plan. Walter Shangtao is a unifier. I think that um, we are looking at what is likely to happen in Oakland if um, one particular vision is in the uh, position of mayor, as opposed to another particular vision. I think Shangtao is a leading in the best in the direction that that is more uh, of the kind of work, practical work, political vision that I would support as opposed to either uh, Lauren Taylor or Nacio or Treva uh, or any of those or the other crazy person on that side that's running. Uh, and I would say that Bob <laughs> Craig and Elisa and um, Shang Tao are the 
are in the tradition of trying to move open forward. Well, the the uh, platform that she uh, yes, salt and pepper. Um, I think it's necessary to talk about public safety in the way that uh, she talks about public safety, as is with uh, Barbara Quay. Um, we have to talk about public safety in the the approach in the manner that uh, APT has talked about it, in the manner that progressives have talked about it. Like uh, one thing that is that that seems to stand out from Shang Tao's platform is that she starts with an idea that uh, that it is not after the crime uh, has been committed that we need to start uh, intervening. We need to de- intervene before. So the prevention has to do with what happens with people living in communities uh, around mental health, uh, economic uh, health, uh, uh, the uh, ability for people to live uh, in decent uh, housing conditions that makes a difference. Prevention uh, is jobs, economic uh, prosperity, and health care. That makes uh, it likely that families can't hold together, that single mothers will be able to uh, work with their children, that single fathers uh, and, and whole families can can stay together and live in a city uh, that seems to uh, embrace them. And that's the mental approach. Uh, that is the political approach. That is the necessary approach for any candidate that's running for Oakland. It's... it's uh, I say that she's a unifying candidate in the sense that um, most every well every progressive organization that I know of has endorsed uh, Shang Tao, Craig Hodge, and Elisa Victory. Uh, I think that Shang Tao has shown uh, the organizations that are around that she represents the values that most of the progressives uh, are uh, hold dear, and in that sense, that's a unifying candidate. I think she's willing to work with larger groups of folks and she wants to see uh, a city that's moving forward that is not beholden to the billionaires that want to provide luxury housing and move out black and brown folks. Uh, She wants to see a city as does each of these other candidates that we talked about, Greg Hodge and Elisa Victory. Uh, Their messaging is a messaging that moves Oakland forward in a positive direction. And to that in that sense, Shang Tao is a unifier. As opposed to the other approach, um, you talked about Lauren Taylor or, Mar- uh, or, or Ignacio De La Fuente's uh, platform. Their approach is to use wedge issues, to use trauma that people have engaged in, and to not have specific plans, but simply to use that messaging that appeals to a more uh, uh, conservative approach, that appeals to a more divisive approach, that appeals to more a blaming approach, or the people who uh, are on our side of the fence that 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 need more support, that need more uh, uh, help from public services, uh, that need that don't have the bills to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, and for those who have moderate incomes that are not neo- neoliberal policies, the uh, policies of the other side, I say that's divisive, and that other side is a side that's supported by Libby Sheriff and the and the following of Jerry Brown and the following of the of the uh, investors, the privatizers uh, in this community. Um, and that's the difference between those other side that is divisive and and Shang Tao that is saying we can work together and can build a more positive approach. 
Um, yeah, there's a pepper in that. There's the uh, that pepper is uh, that she can support black folks and brown people. And the salt is is that uh, she also has some um, uh, uh, appeal to a uh, broader, more um, um, moderate group of folks in, in in the city. And it's necessary at this point. James, I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I, I'm gonna move us uh, along to to talk about the unhoused and housing. You, you spoke, you know, uh, about the fact that nearly you know five thousand new apartments were built in Oakland's downtown area uh, between 2018 and 2020 during Libby's reign. Less than four percent of those units were below market rate, uh, despite <laughs> what the law says it was supposed to happen. Uh, she failed to build five thousand units of affordable housing. Um, Additionally, the unhoused population has exploded by 130 uh, percent. You pointed out we were at at we've, we've been at several in the last couple of months. You've you've been at many violent eviction after violent eviction. Councilmember Fife has put forth a measure on the November ballot, Measure Q, which would give the city the ability to develop up to 13,000 low rent. Uh, housing units in the city. Um, she's also put forth a resolution to allow unsheltered residents who have been displaced from Wood Street, which was the largest encampment of the Bay Area, um, to relocate to the Oakland Army Base, a plan that has now been amended to uh, be Beach Street, if I'm correct. Uh, of the candidates uh, that, that we've been talking about, um, who, who's supportive, who, who's not, who's come forth. I don't know, maybe you want to recap uh, the Libby Lauren attempt to have a presser at the Wood Street encampment um, and then talk a little bit about what's happening on the 18th on tomorrow. Uh, absolutely. Um, so who supports, uh, as you said, uh, Carol Fife has been leading efforts uh, uh, and among the candidates, uh, uh, when we were at 34th and Mandela the other day fighting the CHP eviction. Carol Fife was on the scene attempting to prevent the uh, eviction, and Councilmember Tao uh, was in her office writing, uh, uh, drafting a resolu- an amended resolution um, for rules committee that would have, that ultimately did allow the Beach Street parcel to be freed up for some people to, be, to begin entering. Um, and so I, I think that's reflective of the relationship between council members Fife and Tao on these issues. Fife is leading, uh, uh, and, and Tao recognizes uh, Fife's leadership and has been supporting uh, uh, those efforts that are going on in District 3. Um, that same support has not been seen from, from candidates uh, Taylor or Reed. Um, uh, as you mentioned uh, um, last this is, this is the hottest issue in the city of Oakland. This is the issue that voters are saying that they care the most about. And so knowing that, uh, um, our mayor, Libby Schaff, attempted to have a press conference with uh, uh, Councilmember Taylor in uh, Councilmember Fife's district that discussed Wood Street um, in an attempt to make it seem, uh, to me, it seemed like she was trying to give credit to herself and to... Councilmember Taylor and others in attendance, I believe there might have been other council members there as well, um, for their actions on this issue. And it's really reflective of the type of divisiveness that Walter has been speaking about uh, throughout this call, right? We uh, who, are, who are working on these issues know who is fighting uh, to support the thousands of people sleeping on our streets. Um, and it's people like uh, uh, Fife, 
and, and then uh, the, the the folks who support it, whether it's Boss and and Kaplan and Tao, um, you know, and and on the other side, it's folks like Taylor who uh, attempted to subvert the proposed progressive business tax and attempted to truncate the proposed extension of Oakland's eviction moratorium. Right. So there's a lot of words that are being spread around by candidates. But the best thing about at least looking at Reed, Taylor and Tao is we have a record of their actions. And so when judging candidates myself, that's what I've been looking at. We've got just a few minutes, and I've got two more points that I want to hit. Walter, I want to turn to you for this next one. We've seen OUSD wage war on black and brown students in the flats by closing their schools, firing teachers who pushed back and using violence, uh, in an, uh, serious violence, in an attempt to break the occupation that was at Parker Elementary. We know that quality education is one of the greatest tools we have for building truly safe communities and reducing violence. Um, OUSD and, and, and City of Oakland are two separate governments, but we know that the ed outcomes for our, our kids right, are directly connected to their life outcomes later and what our city looks like. Um, which candidates have supported the fight for equity in our schools and what would you like to see the next mayor do in, in regards to improving educational outcomes for OUSD students, particularly black and brown ones? Very directly, the candidates that have supported uh, the um, uh, saving our schools, community schools, and understanding from their uh, conversations are uh, uh, Elisa Victory, Greg Hodge, and Shang Tao. Uh, I've uh, worked in these areas. I represent the folks who were violently attacked at Park Elementary. I worked with the people who were on the hunger strike earlier, and I worked with uh, the organizations that were opposing the closing of schools, as we all have. Uh, and I know directly uh, the folks who have, who have been involved. Uh, Carol Fife has been out there uh, uh, on uh, at the schools. Uh, we been in committee meetings with various folks uh, to trying to stop the closure of neighborhood schools that are so important to maintain the vitality of our neighborhoods and support for families who live in those neighborhoods, not being able, not having to travel or not, uh, and opposing the selling and of uh, public property and the school property to private enterprises that end up with, uh, uh, uh either, um, uh, land development programs or end up with uh, 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 private schools or uh, charter schools that undermines public schools. Uh, but what I want to see in, a, in candidates, those folks who are running for school board, uh, and there are a number of people who are running for school board that are opposed to the closure of schools that, that when they're on the school board are going to ensure that, that we develop this progressive uh, unity around these issues. Um, and um, uh, Libby Shaft uh, and 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 Lauren are supporting our more regressive candidates. Um, Shang Tao, um, Greg Hodge, and uh, Lisa Victory have been out there with those folks. They uh, they're members running for school board that are that are suing will be suing the city, uh, suing the school board uh, for the attacks that they experienced themselves. I want to see a mayor that speaks up for. Uh, the community that speaks up, that, that uses the, uh, the position as mayor as a megaphone uh, for uh, fighting school closures, fighting for communities, and fighting for community empowerment around education. Um, the mayor does not uh, is not particularly involved uh, with uh, OSUSD in terms of making policy, but can set the tone in the city for policy. You're a leader of a, of a of the city and will therefore have tremendous impact on the public discourse that occurs. Jerry Brown did it. 
uh, every mayor does it for their communities, or whether they are involved uh, on the school board or not. And they support people who run for offices in, in school districts and support people who get hired uh, with the best um, approach towards building community. We need a mayor that supports small schools, that supports uh, community schools, that supports educational uh, uh, opportunities for black and brown folks to stay in the city and, and, and be able to go to schools close to homes. Um, we know uh, from the various studies across the nation and Stanford study that the closure of, of community schools, black and brown schools, that are schools that are primarily uh, black and brown, uh, depresses, pushes down the economic vitality of the communities, of the families, uh, more likely will increase uh, uh, the uh, gentrification of the neighborhoods because folks who don't want to go to those local schools where they're uh, largely black and brown folks, once those schools are closed, know that they can move in and, and pay more for, for their housing uh, and have the opportunity to not have their kids going those local schools and those are the folks that don't serve our community the best when they don't want to be part of our communities that's the gentrification new people who get jobs and come to Oakland and moving in that want to be part of the local community those folks took part in the uh, occupation of the schools those folks took part in the campaigns for you and campaigns for Carol Five and campaigns for Nikki and camp and now campaign for the progressive mayors we want those folks to be, to be part of the community, but those folks who don't want to be part of our community, they want our school closed, do not serve our interests, and the government, the city government, the mayor, the mayor's campaigns that to promote this kind of divisiveness uh, is building a future for Oakland that is not a place for most of us. All right. Uh... I've I've heard folks say and, and 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 I agree that this this mayoral is the fight for the soul of Oakland, uh, right? We've got forces that are that are trying to pull us to the right. Um, our our people's campaign, right, successfully pulled us a bit to the left, and, and we've seen the attacks that have have happened over the last four years trying to reverse. What happened? I, I think that's a, a role that Alyssa Victory's campaign has served in in terms of, of anchoring us in in progressive, truly progressive conversations. Um, I want to get y'all's final thoughts in the last uh, two minutes that we have here. Um, James, I'll start with you. Sixty seconds. Is this a fight for the soul of Oakland? And what do you say to Oaklanders? Because I'm not seeing folks excited or engaged at, 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 at what I think are the necessary levels. What, what do you say to those folks about the importance of getting excited and engaged uh, in, in, in this mayoral? Uh, I think folks really need to take a look at the candidates and spend a little bit of time. If you look at their uh, campaign pages, even though there are some differences, a lot of the rhetoric is the same. But from my perspective, there are candidates like Lauren Taylor and Trevor Reed uh, uh, and Ignacio that are going to continue a status quo that is quite frankly terrifying uh, uh, after experiencing the last several years and the amount of misinformation that has plagued the work that we try to do at APTP. And so I'm for uh, clear discourse uh, uh, and transparency, uh, and I and I can't be clear enough that we've seen from several candidates that that's not what we're going to get. Uh, uh, if they achieve the mayoral office. And so that's something that I'm thinking about, and I hope that that motivates people to uh, uh, open their eyes and, and start thinking about uh, where they want to put their vote. Walter, 60 seconds. 
I want to see every person who's forward thinking, every progressive, every moderate person to vote for one of the three candidates, uh, uh, Shantel, Greg Hodge, or Elisa Victory. I, that ranked choice is necessary for the uh, progressive community to have a, have a chance and a real shot at this. People have to get out and support this. And if we don't, uh, the other side wins and there is another side we have to see that there is another side and that represents those forces that Libby Schaaf has supported she brought in as much of the conservative or neoliberal forces to support her her candidates as possible and we have to defeat that the future of Oakland uh, is uh, will be decided for the next four years certainly uh, in this election around the mayor and the other candidates that are running for city council and running for school board and uh uh, uh, running for the uh, um, Board of Supervisors. We need to ensure that there's forward movement here. Uh, that needs right. We need solidarity in the progressive movement. All right, we've got to leave it there. And the only thing that I will add is that it may be the next eight years because we know once an incumbent is in that office, getting them out before term ends, regardless of how they are leading, is, is nearly impossible. Thank you both so much for joining us this morning. We've been joined by... Walter Riley, civil rights activist and attorney, and policy expert James Birch, who's also the deputy director for the Anti-Police Terror Project. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Rask and the Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>